0: welcome to the eastern current saltwater fishing podcast presented by outdoors by owner obo helps the outdoorsman find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of florida bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family obio has the house for you to check out all their incredible properties visit go-obo.com on today's podcast i chat with brunswick georgia fly and light tackle guide michael garcia we discuss southern georgia's inshore fishing opportunities conservation and our love for fly fishing hope you enjoy if you haven't already be sure to check out eastern current on patreon there you'll be able to find our ramp talk podcast where my guide buddies and i discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning On August 12th, Eastern Current and Soundside Outfitters in Swansboro, North Carolina, will be hosting the first annual fly-only redfish rodeo. You'll be able to fish anywhere in North Carolina, and the awards ceremony will be held at the Soundside Outfitters fly shop that evening. You'll have to be present at the after party to win. All the tournament proceeds will be donated to a coastal nonprofit here in North Carolina. We have tons of great prizes that our sponsors have donated. Our sponsors include Grundens. Mauser Fly Rods, Hatch Reels, Montana Fly Company, Siegler Reels, iStrike, Stroudcraft Boats, and Florida Fishing Products. You can sign up through the iAngler website or the iAngler app. It's going to be a great time and hope we can see you all out there. Even if you're not from North Carolina, we'd love to have you come up and fish the tournament with us. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium-light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. Captain Michael Garcia, thanks for jumping on an Eastern Current podcast with me. We've been talking for quite a while about doing this, and our schedule is finally meshed up. It's funny, I looked at uh, the radar this morning because I got weathered out this morning and I was just looking up and down the coast at people like areas that are getting rain and bad weather today which essentially was most of the east coast and uh, (laughs) yeah and 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 kind of comparing that to people I've been talking to about doing the podcast I texted you immediately and you're like yeah let's make it happen so excited that we're able to do that but man
1: thanks for jumping on the show yeah of course uh I'm uh very happy to be on here
0: Awesome, man. I'm, uh, I'm excited to have you on here as well and, and uh, a big fan of, of your fishery down there and um, know very little compared to you, obviously, but um, excited to kind of get to hear about it. And uh, let's start out like we do in a lot of episodes with new guests and just talk about um, your backstory, you know, official, uh, essentially your fishing story, um, kind of how it's brought you to, to your life and career in, in fishing and fly fishing at that. Um, if, you, if you don't mind, just kind of share with us some of the details.
1: Yeah, of course. So, um, kind of the backstory is, uh, just like most people kind of started out, um, you know, uh, some sort of family member, my father, um, we had a little pond at my grandmother's house back in, uh, I'm from South Atlanta, McDonough proper. Um, and so, you know, going there as a little kid catching bluegill, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, at a very early age, um, my father passed away. And so kind of definitely took a turn that I didn't get to fish as much anymore as I didn't have anyone kind of teaching me, um, until I met one of my good buddies, um, his name is Cal. And, um, you know, he kind of got me started fishing again and, you know, bass fishing around lakes and cetera, et cetera. And kind of went through that until, uh, um, a change was made and um, he asked me to go fly fishing in Tennessee one time and uh, the rest is kind of history in that regard but how I kind of got here where I am in Brunswick, Georgia here in the Golden Isles um, so I came down here for school uh, August of 2016 and um, kind of fell in love with just salt in general but at the same time uh there was a fly shop in savannah at the time rivers and glen it's still there uh as you know chad um he's the manager over there and uh chad sold me my first fly rod in uh, september of 2016 Nice. and um i was fishing a pond with it one day that was close to the marsh and i saw two guys walking out in the marsh with fly rods and i said am I missing something right here? And <laughs> he was like, dude, it's a, it's a flood tide right now. What are you doing? And I was like, Oh snap, this is the day. October 13th, 2016 is the first day I saw a tailing redfish in my life. That's awesome. I will never forget that moment. That's super cool life. that
0: you know that date. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the reason is, is because, um, uh, a past, uh, girlfriend, it was, uh, our in- anniversary and I totally made her wait on the side of the road while I was fishing the marsh.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. It's, uh, you know, you got to put your priorities, you know, straight. You got to, sometimes you got yep. to make a choice. So it sounds like it might've been yeah. the right choice if it's an X and, and you're still fishing, then you might've made the Oh right yeah. Or might've made the right it choice. It was so. uh,
1: <laughs> very much the right
0: choice. Heck yeah. Very really much. Heck yeah. Um, well, let, I want to jump back real quick. So you said, you went, a friend invited you to go fishing. It was your first time fly fishing and that kind of sealed the deal. What was it? Freshwater kind of trout fishing.
1: Yeah. So it was, um, on the Telico river, okay. um, in Tennessee. So it was definitely trout fishing. Um, it was February at that time. It was really cold. It was going to be a camping trip. Um, but it was just something different and challenging. I mean, we we've all heard the same story that, uh, I mean, fly fishing, it's, it's, it's the challenge that kind of gets us into it. Right. And I mean, it was the same thing for me. It's just, I wasn't good at it. <laughs> I, mean, I I, I, quite frankly, I was quite terrible those first couple months, um, of doing it and, uh, you know, kind of evolved my skills after that.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it is so addicting, man. And I think people go their own ways and their own paths with fly fishing you know whether it be salt water or fresh water or how they like to fish where they like to fish and I, I think one of the coolest most purest types of fly fishing is definitely just wading in a stream and throwing you know dry flies and small nymphs and really kind of getting back to the root of fly fishing and just standing and moving water is just I mean I don't think you could take anyone that maybe if they hate the outdoors but if they slightly enjoy being outside you take them to experience that and you're probably going to get oh, yeah. them hooked on it. and Maybe not hooked, but at least, you know, they, they, they can completely Quite understand. Quite interested. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the same thing with like seeing a tailing redfish in the grass. You don't have to be, you know, an angler or even really care much about fishing, but to go on a pretty flood tide where hopefully the bugs aren't too bad and it's sunset <laughs> and you see a tailing redfish. I mean, 90% of people in the world are probably going to think it's beautiful and cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'd be hard to no, find that that's like that's a waste of time. I don't understand at all why you like to do this. I don't think those people exist, really.
1: No, hopefully not. Not they're definitely not part of my friend group. That's <laughs> for
0: sure. <laughs> I would. I would be willing to say, say same with mine. So um, they might not care to go catch them, but would love seeing it. So, uh, but right. yeah. So that that kind of it brought you to your college, brought you down to to where you are on the coast, and. Um, when did the saltwater bug like really kick in? Like, all right, I want to do everything I can get a boat, maybe start guiding. Like how did that kind of transition?
1: So, um, well, I kind of started off in a kayak. I mean, that was definitely where my roots kind of started. And after I saw that tailing redfish, I mean, I was fly or die. I that's the only way I wanted to catch one. Um, and that's it. And, You know, I hadn't been saltwater fishing that much in my life at that point either. And let me tell you, trying to go catch a redfish on fly as your first ever redfish caught, period, it is not an easy task. And so, I mean, it was grinding and grinding and grinding from October. I mean, I didn't catch that fish to say the least. Um, And it took me all the way till February 2017 to catch that first one of going i mean once to three times a week i mean it was it was a solid grind period of uh zero zero reward to say the least and i mean after i got bit by that bug i mean it was after i caught that first fish it was kind of over and you know i just wanted to learn more and so i continued to go out and you know kind of learn my own stuff and then um what happened was uh um, I was working at a tackle shop that's no longer there, but uh, another good guide here, uh, Larry Kennedy, who's been here for a very long time, had a tackle shop. And one day, um, the Orvis-endorsed guide here, uh, David Eden, walked in and, you know, of course, I kind of fangirled a little bit and said, oh, my God, like, hey, uh, I see that you got an Orvis sticker. I love fly fishing. And he said, yeah, well, you know what, it's time for me to give back into the community. Let me let me get you on the skip a couple of times. And, uh, you know, we went once or twice, and on that second time, we it was a flood tide, and uh, got to see more tailing fish, of course, and ended up catching still probably to this state at my top three biggest fish, which was, I mean, at least a 32-inch tailing fish in the grass. That's um, awesome. Oh, it was incredible. And so David basically kind of mentored me a little bit. Him and I learned a lot from each other. Um, and you know, if he had the day off and it was beautiful conditions, Hey, Michael, I don't know what you're doing. You know, if I had class or no class, I'd probably skip that class to go fish with him That's and awesome. kind of learn from that, um, kind of tie, ty- um, from that time point. And then of course, um, the fly shop um, in Brunswick, uh, with the shop that I manage on the fly outfitters, kind of opened up and that kind of led a whole different world. So I got to see both sides, David's side of, you know, guiding and then the fishing retail side of things and really got to learn from a lot of people. And uh, I mean, it's, there was a lot of wealth of knowledge coming my way and I was learning very quickly and um, I knew probably about two years fishing with David that I really wanted to guide at some point. I didn't know how it was going to work. Cause I mean, as we all know, uh, most uh, college students are broke. <laughs> right. Um, and so I didn't know how in the world I was going to get to afford a skiff. I mean, by any means, like that was just, so, just the prices of these things nowadays is just ridiculous. Yep. Um, And I mean, that's, I think that's a barrier for most people. And it was for me at the time um, until, uh, my roommate, he, uh, had a flat back canoe, basically a little 13 foot guinea that he had sitting in his, uh, at his parents' house or his uncle's house or whatever. And, uh, kind of built that up and really started going on my own adventures with that. Um, and then eventually, um, you know, got my hours with that and on David's boat and the last semester of college um i decided i was going to go get my captain's license um grab that um and then kind of he was going to help me at first because uh, david's in his 70s now and he wants to do a little bit more hosted trip kind of stuff for sure. Um, with his clients and he said hey i'll help you out you know if i have a day off in of the boat i'll let you use the, uh my skiff and Kind of started out with that um, until a good friend of mine was selling his uh, um, salt marsh heron, and and, uh, it was something that I could feasibly afford at the uh, time, you know, with with the bank and everything, and kind of pulled the trigger, and the rest became history. And I mean, that's where I'm guiding out of now, and I mean, I love that skip for for the price, for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. I think that's such a cool story, and really cool to see an older guide kind of invest in in an up and comer. And, and I feel like that's just something we can kind of continue, you know, as, I mean, as guides are also like a voice and a steward for the fishery. So to be able to take someone on your wing and kind of help them and, and, and show them the way essentially, um, is a really cool way that we can kind of continue this profession, but also, you know, this lifestyle and this, you know, the joy of, of being able to guide and put people on fish. It's, it's, it's a unique thing and a unique opportunity to be able to share with customers on the boat. And I, I, I like that he kind of took you under his wing and
1: I mean, I'm, I'm beyond blessed. Um, I mean, I, I pretty much owe most of everything to the man. I mean, yeah, that's you cool. know, and of course, uh, my, uh, two co-owners at the shop as well for helping me get started running trips with them and stuff too. And, taking some of david's overflow i mean i'm i'm in a i'm a very blessed in a very blessed position
0: yeah man that's super cool that's really really neat i had a had a guide here that really took me under his wing early on and and helped me with a lot of uh a lot of questions and and with with overflow trips and whatnot and and i really couldn't have couldn't have gotten going without it i mean nowadays there's fishing booker and i feel like a lot of people can get into fishing uh guiding pretty easily you know it's not like this apprenticeship almost like tattooing or like uh something like that where you almost really need someone under your wing or really need to be under someone's wing to kind of to make it through or be really young like if you're really young you can survive on ramen you know what i mean but if you're a dad and a husband and stuff like the first year or two of guiding like it, it can be a lot more stressful than if you're just a single you know younger younger guy that with a little bit less you know to to pay for in life if you will um but
1: no no for sure and i i mean and my mother told me from the get-go like you really want to do this you better do it now right i mean don't don't wait absolutely of course i kind of hit the ground running with it if i'm fishing a jig you can
0: bet it's going to be an eye strike texas eye Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com, and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P-127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. I started at a very young age as well, right out of college, not, not like a high school kid, but right out of college actually ended up dropping out of school. It started off as taking uh, a year off to kind of go figure out what I wanted to do. I was decent in school. I had good grades. I was going to graduate, but I just didn't know what at all I wanted to do. And so I started young and it was such a blessing because you can have roommates, you know, you you can make your payments in life very small and it's just an easy way to get going and, and kind of build up that 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 career the only downfall of it is sometimes when you get like an old man who's been fly fishing for 30 years on your boat right off the bat and i was you know 22 and they look at me like what are you i thought you were i didn't realize you're gonna be a tiny kid you know (laughs) you know what i mean right you gotta gotta prove yourself you feel like that anxiousness
1: about needing to prove yourself but uh, oh yes, every every morning i mean i wake up and just gotta think like you got to give it your all. I mean, I'm, I'm early in life. I got to put some, some sort of reputation behind my name.
0: For sure. And I think you've done that, man. I think, I think you really have in your area and, and whatnot, which is, which is super cool. But so since, since you started guiding, what is, what is it, what tell me more about your fishery down there? Um, what is, what does it look like to be a fly fishing guy down there? Target wise, is it mostly all redfish? Or are you doing some other stuff on the fly? Uh, just explain your fishery a little bit and where you fish, if you will.
1: Yeah, of course. So as I said, I'm in Brunswick, um, you know, our barrier islands around us, we have St. Simon's Island, Jekyll Island, sea Island. Um, those are definitely, and all of it together it's called the golden Isles. So we are about 70 miles South of Savannah and about 70 miles North of Jacksonville, Florida. Um, so kind of boom, right there in the middle. So the South Georgia low country, I guess you could say with an accent, Um, so that is definitely where, where I am. And, you know, 365 days a year, weather dependent. So basically not today. Um, uh, we can go after redfish. I mean, that is definitely the bread and butter, uh, for the fly guide, fly angler. Um, you know, depending on what time of the year it is, um, the low tide thing is honestly my favorite. Um, I love low tides. Um, with a burning passion when the fish are happy. I will definitely say that it's, uh, it's definitely a grind if they're not. Um, but of course, we get the tailing fish in the grass. Um, that's our, our primary kind of target. And then, of course, you know, bycatch, we can catch sea trout every now and then, uh, flounder. And then seasonally, uh, we'll get, you know, some triple tail will start popping in kind of early to mid spring. Um, and then, uh, you know, as it gets warmer and warmer, you know, we get the big, big migratory jack ball. Um, and then of course we get some tarpon as well.
0: That's awesome, man. I think I saw some jacks yesterday here and that's a fish that I really wish we had the large ones more consistently. And I think, I really think there's a fishery form here in our river. Uh, but it's just untapped. I don't think it's necessarily a fly fishery. I think it would be a cat. I, th- I feel like if you were dedicated to going out and throwing big topwaters every morning, you probably could get one pretty consistently. Um, yeah. I mean, they,
1: they smash topwater. Yeah. They, so I like wish the you know fish was like that.
0: You know, it's like, oh, a, it, it's like smallmouth bass are the freshwater version. And then the jack is like the saltwater, at least east coast uh, of the United States version of that. So. They're just a very weird oh no for sure. You put something in front of them; they're gonna eat it.
1: And and the best part is, it's like, in the fly kind of side. I mean, I was out there, you know, during our good weather window last week. Uh, had a you know client that barely fished saltwater in his life, and there are three jacks on top. Just I mean, pushing away, just wanting to destroy anything. And yeah, he put his cast in front of that, and I told the man, I was like, dude, you cannot strip fast enough. I mean, they strip, 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 and I mean, they push each other out of the way to try to eat
0: a fly. They're like bulldogs or like pit bulls, just like bumping each other and chasing it down. It's awesome.
1: Oh, it's it's incredible. You know, it really makes me wish that the redfish acted the same way.
0: It's crazy. They really do make you like when I used to guide in Louisiana. They really do push you to be a much quicker, better line managed angler because. The oh. shots are sometimes you'll get them slow cruising, but a lot of times it's very fast. Like you've got to go from it's a very fast. Yeah, I mean, even if you see them from a long distance away, it's like by the time you get to, I mean, they're moving quick. They're 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 trying to cover as much ground as they can to eat as much as they can per day, and um, you know it's eleven o'clock, thirty feet, as fast as you can, strip as fast as you can. I mean, it goes from no silence on the boat to yelling really quickly. <laughs> so
1: yeah, I mean, it, and and the thing is, is I mean, as you said, it makes you better with line man. If your line is not where it needs to be, when it needs to be, and those jacks come up, that's your shot for the day, but possibly. I mean, like, it's, sure. it can make and break you very quickly. So,
0: as a fly angler, this just brought this up. I don't, I don't think I've ever mentioned or gone into proper line management fly fishing on a podcast. So, let's both kind of share. I want to hear your version of what, when you're giving a client the spiel in the morning and kind of talking about how to set up and, and what you, like, how you want them to be ready for, for an opportunity. What is your kind of breakdown for that? And this is good for anybody to know that wants to fly fish off of a boat in saltwater.
1: Yeah, no, of course. So, um, you know, depending on who the client is, like especially any new client that comes on the boat, first time saltwater, whatever, or they've been doing it for however long, but you know, every fishery is different in its kind of own way. And so I really go into, you know, I'll run from point A to point B to where we start fishing. get off the uh, the motor, put myself in the mud and kind of go over, you know, we're going to strip off however much line that you can cast pretty much. um, And then give or take an extra five feet or so, just so that whenever you do make a full cast at said fish, that the line doesn't wrap around your reel seat. I'm I'm sure that's happened to you once or twice before. Um, So just have a little bit more than you can cast. Um, and so rip that all off the uh, reel, make sure that you do a clearing cast. So that way you can put the running line on the bottom of the boat, um, you know, on, on the deck. And so what I kind of use to keep the line on the deck, um, carbon Marine makes the little, uh, line tack spikes. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much what I use mainly. Um, just, to kind of keep the boat on the deck and I've got it formed that, um, it hugs the side all the way till it goes almost to the cockpit. And I kind of like crank it in towards the cockpit. That way, if the line does start, you know, sliding around, it'll slide into the cockpit and hopefully not over the deck of the boat. Yeah. Um, that's definitely the main one. And of course I do have a little line bucket as well. Um, but of course I well, struggle into like sometimes the actual, getting people
0: to use those do you Do you bump into the same the, thing the,
1: yes I mean it is uncomfortable if
0: you haven't done it before
1: it is sure. and I, and I tell most people what I don't think the line bucket is great for the whole entire time use what I think the line bucket is good for is super windy days yep where you're only taking a few shots definitely where you have time to recollect your lineup. Cause you're not going to be able to cash and strip it back into the bucket cast and strip back into the bucket. That's just, it's not doable. Right. I mean like you're, 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 you're putting too much emphasis on where your line is and not focusing enough on the fishing. So I, I think keeping the line in the bucket while you're waiting for that shot is super key if it's windier. Um, but if it's not windy, I don't, I do not even think about using it. So like, Basically, springtime, I'll pretty much have it on the boat at all times because it's always blowing. <laughs> and even till now, it's still blowing. Like, it hasn't stopped all year long. Um, and so, but realistically, um, and if there's more than one person on the boat, the line bucket kind of takes up so much room. Right, right. Um, but anyway, going back to line management, do a clearing task. You ship the line onto the deck of the boat. And if you have the time, neatly try to organize it um, so that it's not just all over the boat. And then um, line management rides, like the uh, ready position. So I like to have my angler kind of hold the fly in one hand, of course. And uh, give or take, have about eight to ten feet of line out the rod tip. So uh, my favorite fly line of choice is uh, the Scientific Angler Grand Slam. Same here. Um, uh, dude.
0: It's a great line. By
1: far, by far the best line for, I think, anybody getting into saltwater fishing. And shoot, still me. I mean, it's I literally a, it's have it. It's a fast it from, line, man.
0: You can generate
1: line speed so quickly with it. It's incredible. I mean, I have it from my sixth weight all the way up to my 12th. I mean, it kind of stinks in the wintertime because it gets uh, a little, uh, it, it uh, coils a little bit more. Um, so I go to like a redfish cold line in the yeah. wintertime. Um, but for the most part, scientific angler. Anyway, going back to the grand slam, there's like a section of it where it turns with the amplitude version, it turns blue to yellow and I like to have where the blue stops right there at the rod tip nice. and, um, you know, kind of get my anglers in position. Of course, if they're right handed, I'll try to tell them, look the fish are willing, I'm going to give you a shot from nine to 11 o'clock or so. Um, and you know, for them to point at said fish, whenever they, I see it, they get their eyes on it. They can see it. Um, and kind of the same, I think old red fishing, wherever you go, try to lead the fish depending on how fast he's moving. But a general train of thought is about three to four feet in front of them and about two to three feet past him. Correct. That way you have kind of the intercept point. I like telling people, think about a pedestrian getting hit by a bus. I mean, you're fly the a pedestrian and he's going to get smacked by that bus. I like that. I haven't heard that it, before. You have to put it in front of those eyes. Otherwise he will never see it. Right. I mean, uh, here in Georgia, I wish we had the water clarity y'all do in North Carolina or anywhere in South Carolina, uh, Florida. I mean, our water I mean it gets summertime like right now, especially with all this rain I guarantee the next time I'm going to be out it's going to be chocolate milk. yeah I mean it is super super um, super dirty to say the least
0: for sure it's it is uh and we have that here as well it just depends on where you're fishing I mean the like our 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 coastal rivers you're gonna have that dirty stained water it, and then we do have long stretches of coastline without much river influence and that's where you get your real clear eelgrass stuff but man the dirty water fishing i prefer i mean you can't see the fish as well but the way they belly crawl and the way they tail and the yes. their habits are different a lot of times I'm not saying it's completely different but um different now your clear water eelgrass flats are awesome when they're tailing you know way out off the bank you're you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere and you've got fish tailing on edges of eelgrass patches and whatnot which that's cool as well but that shallow muddy water that just like the low country style fishing is just so attractive to me. And I feel like what draws a lot of people into fly fishing for redfish, you know?
1: I mean, I, you know, I, I like to tell people, as you said, you're, you're not going to be able to see the fish as well. uh, Most of the time, but kind of what you got into is, I mean, the backing and and the tailing fish. I mean, I tell people, whenever we're fishing, I said, you're going to go someplace that you never thought a boat can go. Right. I mean, I, I'm steady, uh, being sore from every single day from trying to push my boat up as shallow as possible just (laughs) to get the opportunity to see those backing fish. Because I mean, as you know, as much as any other red fisherman, like Backing fish is the one you have to take advantage of. Right. I mean, he's, he's there to eat in shallow water where your angler should, hopefully will be able to see them. Um, and you know, it, it kind of, those fish kind of give you the best time to, you know, prepare for a shot too, you know? It's a very honest um, shot too.
0: You can see the fish well, you know what they're doing. You can tell when they change angles very quickly. Um, it, 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 gets, it puts all the opportunity and responsibility on the angler's plate at that point once this shot begins, but. Um, as an angler, I, as you were talking, I was just kind of thinking about just whether you're fly fishing or spin fishing. You know, if you're on the bow of a boat and you're sight fishing, you have control of very little. You know, your your person, your friend, or your guide, whoever's on the back, is in control of a lot of how the boat's set up, where you're going. But you need to be in control on the bow of what you can be in control of, which is your line management, being prepped and ready for a shot. And, and being vigilant and looking for that next opportunity. So I know it's, it can sound like too intense, but you and I, I mean, our lives are sight fishing, and so we really break this down and think about it a lot. And so you know, you can, can you can get out and in, in your yard and practice your casting, whether with a bait caster, a spin rod, a fly rod, whatever it is, and you can practice that ready position. Um, and I I tell people the exact same thing you do you did I, the bus analogy. I'm going to steal that for sure. I kind of tell people <laughs> um, I'll be like you know imagine that fish is swimming down a road or driving down a road. You got to throw across the road to the other median, bring it back across the road for the fish to see their world's So small, especially in that dirty water, it's, it's the size of a, of a plate, you know? And so that, that fly, and they will move further to eat something if they see it, but there's so much bait in the summer. They're really just opportunists taking advantage of what slips up closest to their face. You know what I mean?
1: No, for sure. For sure. I mean, you, you put the, uh, I mean, you, you said it right then and there. I mean, summertime, the bait is absolutely everywhere. And as we said, if they, if they have to go out of their way to eat something, they're not going to because something is going to cross your path there in probably the next minute or so. Right, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean like, it's, it. yeah, I mean, it really sucks too because you'll be pulling up a creek or a flat or whatever and, you hit an oyster bed wrong, and eighteen thousand mullets just erupt. Right, and I mean, it, it kind of make get kind of winded of
0: that too. So, yeah, they key in on those freaked out mullet for sure, especially the big ones. Yes, right they do. <laughs> um, yes, they do. But yeah, I mean, I I think the only thing that I share on that that um, deal that that is maybe not even necessary, but I feel like helps sometimes is a lot of people when they're holding their fly in their hand. They'll, they'll tend to hold the leader a few inches above the fly. And I've, I've started to tell people, hey, hold the bend of the hook, pinch it between your pointer finger yes. and your thumb. yes, Because so often somebody will go to cast, you know, it'll and it'll hook on their sleeve or it'll hook on the back yep. of their shirt that's blowing in the wind. But if you're holding that bend, you can pitch the fly away from you really easily and, and not tangle. I mean, it sucks, especially on a slow day where you get five shots all day and you yep. go to, you got a perfect belly crawling fish coming on the bank, and you go to cast and it hangs on your shirt. Or you're dragging your fly in yeah. the water and you go to cast and it's got grass on it. It's like, and that I'm happens. Sure. The, the fewer shots you have per day, the higher the percentage of the chance that when you go to cast, you're probably going to be screwed up somehow. So, yeah, just got I, I to think about that stuff. But, but yeah, no, yeah, no, of, I, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. The, the slight lag has me interrupting you. Like I'm a total jerk. Maybe I am a total jerk. I don't know. Um, (laughs) but, but, um, but no, man, I think, I think that's huge. And I feel like that is one of the things as a, as a guide or an angler that's bringing buddies on the boat is important to talk about. Like some, some days I'm just not thinking. And I, I, the client climbs up on the bow and I kind of start pulling or maybe I'm not feeling it or I don't feel good and I don't give that spiel. And you can pretty much guarantee that the first opportunity is going to be wasted because you didn't, kind of go through it and then you've got to take time to explain it then so it's better to just kind of like you said put the boat in the mud at the start and and go for it and just kind of kind of share and and talk about that but before we hopped on the podcast we'll kind of change gears here we were discussing um I always like to ask people you know is there anything conservation wise in your area that that you feel like is important to talk about or that you don't want to bring up um and and we jumped very quickly into y'all's y'all's redfish limits and and kind of the uh you know, what y'all are battling down there as far as fish being taken out of the water. And I wanted to give, uh, the podcast, give us some time on the podcast to discuss that and kind of talk about, about your opinions and, and, uh, see where your head was about that.
1: Yeah. So, um, right now in Georgia, um, legally, uh, uh, an angler with a fishing license can go out and, uh, catch, uh, five redfish per person, um, which as much as anybody, So the next person knows five fish per person is a lot. I mean, it is a lot of fish and that, and our slot limit is 14 to 23 inches. Um, and my personal opinion, there is not enough meat on a 14 inch fish to be worthy of killing it. Granted, you know, I've got buddies, um, and friends that love eating fish and I have zero problem with people, you know, respectfully and sustainably, uh, harvesting fish. Um, but, you know, the times are changing. Um as I said, no no one in their right mind needs to keep five, five redfish per person and then the trout limit too. I mean we we can keep fifteen trout per person. Golly. Which and that's not even a slot system, that's anything over fourteen inches. Right. Um and if there's and not enough meat on a fourteen
0: inch redfish, there's definitely not enough meat on a fourteen inch trout. That's <laughs> what I've always thought. No, there's
1: not. No, there's not. And uh And the the craziest thing is, is that there's not a boat max. So, you know, um, somebody can go out into the marsh, uh, a guide and four clients can go out and keep, you know, does it happen every day? No, not at all. I mean, um, but can go out into the marsh and keep 25 redfish, which I mean, you do that four days in a row. I mean, with four different sets of clients, I mean, you kill the school of fish, um, and you just there's not there's not a fishery anymore that can sustain that for a longevity kind of aspect. And so going back into like uh, a conservation minded um um focus uh so uh good friends, I think my airpods are about to die though. I'm going to have to transfer over to speaker. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, just
0: transfer over to to speaking normally on your phone instead of speaker, just kind of talking into your phone. Hold on. It okay. Up. It'll just be a little clearer on this end. Say that again? How does this work for you? Can you hear me well? I'm getting you good now. At first it was a little little uh, sound tunnel but now it sounds good.
1: A little, little janky. Okay. Um, and so uh, going back to a conservation kind of mindset, um, uh, a good friend of yours and mine, uh, Chad DeBose up in Savannah, yep, um, kind of started uh, Georgia Saltwater Anglers Association uh, with one of the co-owners, too, of the shop. Uh, down here on the fly, uh, Jared DeVincent and I mean have put countless hours, I mean, countless days and hours into really kind of helping spread awareness that, hey, um, things need to be changed. Um, And we, you know, I mean, there's definitely been, you know, a decrease of fish. Are we still getting shots of fish? Yes, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's definitely still fish to be caught, but at the same time, don't try to change something after it's too late. Right. And we're just trying to take a focus on making sure that we, you know, proclaim the change and, uh, try to get people on board with us, um, changing limits. I mean, cause it needs, it needs to happen. It, it, it needs to happen. I mean, I get on a soap opera almost every single time I'm on the skiff nowadays, and I don't want to be preaching that my whole entire guiding career. Right. It, um, cause it, it, it just doesn't sound good.
0: No, it's so tough, man. And and some clients, you know, they're all about it. They want to hear more and more about it. And you can tell some clients, like, hey, man, I just want to fish. Like, I don't want to hear yeah. you whine about your fishery. And so I, you got to read the room. But, man, fisheries have been managed for far too long in far too many states uh, reactively instead of proactively. And sure. I feel like it's so important to see the change that needs to happen before. Like, and, and really, it's, it's pretty much always probably going to be too late. But you can still be more on the reactive side or more on the proactive side than the reactive side. And I feel like in your state as well as mine, Maybe we're not there yet, but in your opinion, what would be the fix? What would be the best management plan kind of keeping everybody in mind as far as the recreational goes? Because here's how, here's how I think about the fishery and maybe I'm, I might be too much of a hippie, but I really think any resource in general, fish or not should be managed at first for the resource, you know, to make sure that it's sustainable, to make sure that it's growing or at least steady. Uh, and then managed for the everyday taxpayer, the recreational angler, if you will, in the fishing, you know, side of things, and then for commercial use. And I even consider, you know, you and I and the commercial fishermen, you know, the, the netter or whatnot, all commercial, cause we are benefiting from the resource. It shouldn't be managed for yes. us before the taxpayer, but we should be part of the plan, but we should be, you know, for us to be able to keep fish or for us to be able to be a part of the picture, everything else should be balanced beforehand, um, and, and with that being said, it's going to look different in each fishery. But in your fishery, what what's kind of your opinion on how it could be managed better? What would be a good game plan for y'all?
1: So um, um, we actually almost had some real uh, movement going. And I mean, CRD, uh, the Coastal Resource Division, was very close at proposing a different uh, limit um, and kind of creel change for DNR to uh, look into it just never went all the way through the hoops and so but that change was it was going to drop down to I think it was two fish per person or maybe three okay um, with a boat max of six redfish and then no uh, charter for hire can keep their uh, can keep their limit yeah I like and it. I mean I, that you know
0: is there a lot of kickback from some guides about that type of game plan
1: there's definitely some. I mean, you know, is a very old state of North Carolina, and I think some of the good old ways uh, kind of show in some aspect. I mean, and some of those meetings, there was definitely some guys there that said, this is the best redfish I've ever seen in years. You know, clearly, I mean, that can't be the case. Right. Um, I mean, I'm talking like old older guys and whatnot. But at the same time, I mean, there was a lot of, um, support from people that we thought would be opposed to it, you yeah. know? Um, and I think when they did the second survey, it was 75% of people that took that survey wanted to see the change.
0: Well wow.
1: Happen, which I don't know, uh, you know, I, I I did graduate college, and that to me sounds like there's a problem, and it needs to be addressed. You know, for sure. Um, but it's everything. Um, I know y'all have it with the net ban and stuff like that, or trying to uh, ban netting or gill netting for some of those fish up there. But it's just political. I mean, that's it's what so it comes political. Down
0: to. I mean, our fishery is so pitiful. Uh, we st- like like you. We still have good fishing. It just takes. You've got to. You've got to scout and be on your toes and be on the water every day to to make the opportunities happen consistently, um, which is still p- very possible. We have great days of fishing. I don't want – like like you, I don't want to, like, bash our fishery where people think they shouldn't come here and fish. But I am also care more about the longevity of my kids being able to go out and catch fish than necessarily booking every single trip that I possibly can. You know, I want to see change. I'm okay being outspoken about it. Um, but, I mean, we have – a 2 week maybe a week long flounder season where we can keep one flounder a person as of last year we have 4 speckled trout allowed per person and then we have one redfish allowed per person and it is i mean that's tough man that that those numbers show that the red fishing or that the fishing is 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 not as it should be you know what i mean but i will say we have no problem booking trips with those limits so that could be a very good argumentative point for your viewpoint down where you are. I mean, if you can keep a redfish and a few trout and you have four or five clients in your boat and you're bait fishing, I mean, that's that's enough fish, especially, yeah. you know, if everybody keeps those fish. And, and it's still enough to damage a fishery if everyone's doing it, you know? And for us, it's Correct. it's we're overfished altogether now. You know, maybe it was wrecked, maybe it was commercial that, that got us to where we are. Who knows? I'm not pointing any fingers, but at this point, we all need to make a change if we want to see something different you know, come of it, if that makes sense.
1: Completely agree with it.
0: So I'm I'm with you. I think it's awesome. I don't think anyone should need, it, it sounds like Louisiana limits. I mean, and people, Louisiana is still a great fishery, but man, even when I was guiding down there, you know, almost seven, eight years ago, it was uh, way better than it is now. So, I mean, the fish are still there, but they do evolve. They do get smarter. The more banks get pulled down, the more the fish get, you know, pushed off the bank. And I was having this thought process today of like, I've always kind of thought is like if you're on a skiff, you know, you're the stealthiest, you're the least pressure on the fish. But, you know, so really, I think skiffs can sometimes put more pressure on groups of fish than guys bait fishing. And this is me talking against myself because I'm 99% of the time on a skiff. But I'm not talking about taking fish out of the water, but I'm talking about as I'm try- I've am i got a, a bad fly angler on the boat and I'm having to bump to school almost every time I go up there to get a shot at it. As opposed to if I was bait fishing, I could sit, you know, 40 yards away from it and lob some Carolina rigs in there. And catch a few fish and move on my way and the, the fish might have never known I was there except for the ones that were hooked so this is I, I, that's I, I a controversial that yeah what, what do you think about that because I truly had never really thought like that it was a thought that popped in my head today because I was like annoyed that some guys that I knew that are bait guides found this big school that I've been fishing on and then I was like well you know what I, I kind of checked myself but what's your opinion on that?
1: No, I mean, I totally, as you said, I mean, if you got an angler, that might not be the best uh, angler on the boat. I mean, you're definitely bumping into the school over and over and over again. I mean, I think that does a lot of damage to said school. And I think it's really important, um, I mean, as you said, to go scout at every possible moment. Because we don't need to fish the same school over and over again. Right. I think it's very important. I mean, granted, you know, we want what's best for our clients. And at the end of the day, that's putting a fish into someone's hands. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But at the same time, you don't need to be on the same school every single day of every single tide that you can possibly fish. in Because they're going to get smart and they're going to lead into slightly deeper water. And, you know, that's where the dolphins are going to be ready for them. And, um, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that as you said, you can rob some, you know, we got a, a local popping in court here called the Harper Super Striker and I like to tell people when you see that Harper around, you're going to catch fish, right? Right. And, um, you know, I think they, they do end up doing less damage to them, but at the same time, um, educating people and making sure, I mean, once I catch about a fish or two out of a school, I'm gone. Right. You know, I, I it's, sometimes i will say i do definitely get selfish if the fish are just going balls to the wall excited and backing and tailing it's really hard leaving that kind of fish but at the same time you got to think about it like i don't need to screw every single fish up here because they're not going to do it the next day if i do
0: right i think you can kind of weigh your interactions you know, am I really putting a lot of pressure on these fish today? No, I'm not. I'm able to kind of sit off on this deeper channel and get shots, and I feel like I can stay here a little bit longer. If it's a group of fish that every time your boat creaks a tiny bit, they're humping up and waking 200 yards away, maybe go somewhere else. You know, maybe give those yeah. fish a few days to settle in uh, and yeah. whatnot. So, But, I mean, this is a age-old, so, like, talking circle where we can kind of go around and around. But but the point that mm-hmm. Michael and I are trying to share here is just to be – a a conservation minded angler and and maybe try to think about something differently than you have in the past. And, um, don't necessarily keep fish unless you, you're going to eat that fish or two that night. You know, I'm not saying it's not okay to keep a handful every once in a while and have a fish fry, but it doesn't mean every fish that comes over the gunnel, no matter how you catch it, needs to needs to be thrown in the ice and, and taken home for a for a meal or a dock pick or just to freeze, you know, in the freezer. And and like we said, you know, we're not against people eating fish, but just take what you need for now. You know what I mean? Let's 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 worry about this fishery. It's easy to take from a resource that you can't see. Your your Outcome, really, you know what I mean? Like you, you can kind of just push it all under the table, sweep it under the rug, and and move on. You know, go on about your day. But but we are having an effect, whether we want to, you know, believe it or not. Each and every one of us that's out there consistently. So, um, just a mindset shift is is all, all we ask. You know, no, for sure. So,
1: I mean, I, I, we always got to be cognizant of the fish. Definitely. I mean, that's what it all comes down to. All as you said, all of us the recreational and the commercial guys. I mean, we have to. We have to know what we're doing. I mean, and uh, be aware of what we're doing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 it's easy to point fingers, but the one thing we can't control is what we're doing ourselves. And so that's the that's the best place to start for sure is is uh looking at, at how we're treating a resource and see how we might be able to be you know, more, uh, beneficial for that resource with our decisions. But, uh, let's jump back into, we'll kind of wrap up. You do work at a shop as well. Um, when you're the day, the few days that you're not on the water. So tell me about that shop and, and how people can, uh, what y'all have and how people can find you.
1: So, yeah. So, um, I've been working at on the fly outfitters for uh, four years now, uh, a little bit over four years. Uh, the shop is five years old. Uh, quick fact, I was actually the first ever customer. So that kind of helps seal the, uh, Feel a job that's awesome. Um, later, later on, um, but yeah, we're located in downtown Brunswick um, on the Fly Outfitters, and uh, yeah, I mean, can get anybody geared up from I mean, uh, trout fishing up in the mountains all the way to tarpon fishing uh, around here. I mean, to uh, the keys or wherever. I mean, we we've, we've got everything in between. Just
0: full service fly shop. That's awesome. Super, service. Super cool. Well, let's, let's finish up by share your guide business, share where, you know, the areas you fish, the areas that people might already be, you know, visiting uh, that would be able to fish with you. Um, cause I, I know there's a lot of islands and different little zones down there that that you could potentially yeah. cover clients from. So, so go into that and kind of tell me how we can get out with you if we want to fish with you.
1: So, yeah. So, um, Marsh Bug Charters is my guide service. Um, and I mean, I guide, you know, about middle, of the Georgia coast uh, down to pretty much the Florida line or a little bit past um, for, you know, as I said, redfish, uh, trout, and tarpon. Um, that's kind of the bread and butter for us around here as fly yeah. guys. Um, and, um, you know, I'm based out of Brunswick, but I like to tell people, um, I mean, I'm sure yours is our our Boats are on trailers, so I kind of it sounds cliche, but I go to where the fish are biting, you know. So, wherever you know, we're going to have better conditions, whether that be closer to the barrier islands, um, St. Simon's or Jekyll or um, Sapelo or Cumberland or wherever it is, or if we need to go further back up into the, the rivers and stuff, you know, kind of whatever I can do to make the client uh, have a better shot.
0: Heck yeah, that's awesome. Um, and If, if, uh, if people want to, want to check you out, your website's just MarshBugCharters.com.
1: MarshBugCharters.com, um, Instagram handle MarshBugCharters. Um, and then of course, uh, come into the shop at On The Fly Outfitters and definitely can help you get. Uh, going through that as well, too.
0: And if people are interested in, you know, our conservation, um, conversation, that's a tongue twister from us, our conservation conversation, uh, and you were talking about the Georgia Saltwater Anglers Network, is there some other good resources for them to plug in with, or, or places for them to reach out to, to help out?
1: Um, yeah, so, I, it's, uh, the, um, oh, hold on, I gotta go back to, the Georgia Saltwater Anglers Association. It's Saltwater dot org. Okay. Um, I want to say, I mean, yes, yeah, Georgia Saltwater Anglers Association. dot Just to kind of help, uh, you know, just to have uh, some more people behind our back, and you yeah. know, as we've said before, we're not totally against the complete just of harvesting fish because at the end of the day, like every now and then I want to keep a fish too. Right. But at the same time, we got to be respectful to our, our fishery.
0: For sure. For sure. 100%. Well, man, thank you so much for doing a podcast with me. We'll have to knock out another one, maybe in the fall when, when your fisheries kind of shifting and changing down there, catch up on yeah. how things are going with, uh with y'all's, y'all's uh, limits and um, the conservation conversation we had. And, and uh, it'll be cool. Is there anything that, we haven't mentioned that you want to cover before we, we shut her down?
1: Um, only thing, uh, is if, um, yeah, I mean like, uh, people always ask what time of the year to come fishing. And I like to tell them I'm just as probably the same kind of fishing as you. I mean, like we can catch fish year round, whether it be redfish, um, as our bread and butter. And as I said, migrational, and we, we kind of talked about kind of, not hurting or uh, being on top of the same school every single day. Yeah. And I think migrational species, I know like y'all have the false albacore and um, you know, some things to kind of uh, change gears on. And sure. as I said, we've got some of our tarpon fishing is really about to start picking up there. Um, and um, you know, as I said, the triple tail and just being, I mean, every single season brings on a different opportunity. Yeah. And so I like to tell people whenever you can come, is the best time. Um, that's, that's,
0: yeah. So yeah, that whenever you have the opportunity is the best time to get outdoors. So that's, that's the truth. And I'm going to toss you a bone here. There was one shout out that you wanted to make. And I don't want us to forget about that before, before we wrap this up, the most
1: important shout out. So we're recording this, uh, podcast on, um, on June twenty third, and that is uh, my wonderful girlfriend's birthday, Miss Amanda Rice. That's so, awesome! Happy birthday, Miss Amanda!
0: Happy birthday, and, Amanda! Uh,
1: yep. So she's uh, she puts up with all my fishy uh, fishy mess.
0: So can't thank her enough for it. That's awesome. Does she realize now, like my wife does, that fishy is a good term? It's not a gross term.
1: <sighs> I hope so. <laughs> I, I think. I, I think yes. I think she definitely does. I've explained,
0: I'm like, if I say someone's really fishy, like that is one of the best compliments that I can give somebody. Uh, Oh, 100%. Yeah, she
1: definitely gets that.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, happy birthday, Amanda. Michael, thanks for jumping on and uh, you guys, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast and we will see y'all next week. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.